Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm always excited to be on this podcast with each of you every single week, whether I'm speaking to a new guest somewhere in this world that I've connected with, very lucky to have connected with, I should say, or whether I'm speaking about a topic that is of interest to all of us or myself, I find passionate. I hope that you're loving it. If you're a returning guest, thanks for sticking with me. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button, please, for me. Subscribe to the podcast because not only will that help us grow and, I guess, climb the podcast ranks, but as a community, like collectively together, we'll be able to get this podcast heard by people all over the world and you just don't know what the impact that that could have on them and what part of the episode that they may be listening to that might make a difference in their life. Don't ever underestimate that. So thank you for subscribing. If you're a new listener, welcome. I hope you have an epic time here. I'm looking forward to it. Let's get straight onto episode number 73 for today. Now I'm bringing onto the podcast today a guy by the name of Mark Crown. Now a lot of people probably aren't so savvy or know about a name of Mark Crown. They're probably thinking, who the hell is Mark Crown? Now I met Mark in melbourne it would have been in 2017 actually i was working on neighbors doing some acting doing my best at acting anyway and we were attending the f1 grand prix in melbourne and i was at an event and i was introduced to mark actually at one of the events there and mark is the trumpeter listen to this mark crown is the trumpeter for the british dance group rudimental now, if you haven't heard of who Rudimental are, I'm going to play some of that music right now for you. I know you moved on to someone new. Hope life is beautiful. You were the light for me to find my truth. I just want to say thank you. Leaving to find my soul. Told her I had to go. And I know it ain't pretty. So I'm sure if you haven't heard of that song, we're going to be talking about all things Mark. Crowny, King Crowny, he likes to go by the name of his career, how it actually started for him at such a young age. Now, Mark has been an integral part of, of the British dance group, Rudimental, but he's also been in, involved in a lot of other groups and, and he's had credits with Plan B, Rita Ora, Jess Glynn, 
Jacob Banks, Ed Sheeran. The list goes on. The guy is an absolute weapon. He's also the co-founder of Tanoia. It's a new voice-based app where anyone can have real, authentic discussions. But I, I can't wait to get this guy on the podcast because it's been so long since I actually met him. And he was kind enough to give me his time in between getting back on tour and whatnot. He's got some exciting things in the pipeline. If you're an up-and-coming artist or you want to get into music or you're just interested in, in how it all works and where it starts, I urge you, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. And I should also add, when I actually met Mark at the at the Grand Prix in Melbourne, he was playing. So the, the group Rudimental was actually there. They were touring at the time. So I was super grateful so lucky to, to meet him and, and I'm actually looking forward to hopefully catching up with him later this year when I head over over to Europe for a wedding. But he's an all-round legend. The guy's a wealth of knowledge, an absolute genius at what he does and I just don't want to spoil any more of it. So let's just get him straight onto the podcast and let's welcome him with the biggest open arms. Welcome King Crowny. Welcome on to the podcast, Mark Crown, Crowny, brother. Mate, it's good to see you. I haven't seen your head in a couple of years. Oh, oh tell mate, me, about baby. five or six years. It's been a long, long time, man, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Nah, mate, I'm really, really stoked to actually have you here today and have a chat to you. Learn more about, obviously, what you've been up to the last few years, but obviously, you know, where it all started for you and your journey with music and all that sort of stuff. I just want to rewind a little bit and just fill the guests and the listeners in, obviously, as well, who might be tuning into this podcast right now. I met you in the F1 in Melbourne. That was was so (laughs) long ago. That was when I was filming on Neighbours, which is the Australian soap opera. Yeah, I've seen that. And, mate, I met you. Mate, we were having a great time, and you were out there performing, obviously, in Australia. But... Let's rewind it there because obviously, how many years ago was that? That would have been back in 2016, 17. Yes, yeah, something crazy yeah, sure. like that, man. So, obviously, a lot's been happening for all of us in the world since then, but I'd never known who you were. I loved the music group that you were a part of and everything else, and we'll talk about that. But explain to me creating your music your love for music where all that started and you know what were you doing at that stage in australia when i met you at the f1 well where did it all start i guess if we go right 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 back it was how i was inspired that's primary school actually and to this day i am still in touch with my first music teachers back at primary school because they were such an inspiration to me and you know they told me a lot of good things early on that stuck with me through the journey of becoming a musician that it was really right that it kind of at least could acknowledge that I've taken some of that advice and I've kind of reached the potential of what they thought I could be and it was due to the fact that we had a school assembly and the music teachers brought a couple of music tutors into the hall and they did a couple of demonstrations of different instruments they teach at the school. And if any students were interested in learning how to play any of these instruments, come and see the music teacher after school. So I kind of tuned into all that kind of education they were giving us. So the assembly was really good. And they had a violinist come. They had a clarinet teacher, a few others. But I remember listening to the assembly and I really, really wanted to learn the clarinet to sing like a fun instrument and it's kind of struck a note with me. So I asked to become one of the students to play the clarinet and unfortunately they didn't have any spaces and they said, well, if you really want to learn an instrument, we've got a couple of spaces on the violin. 
So I was like, not quite quite sure about the violin. Was it quiet? (laughs) Maybe we said something like, I don't know, a saxophone is a little bit more closer to the clarinet. But whatever happened, I ended up picking up the violin and my music teacher found out what kind of monitored how I got on and they kind of pulled my mum to one side and was like, look, I'm really good at music and, you know, they I should kind of concentrate on this. And I did, I did grade two within six months of learning the violin and then they gave me the opportunity to learn another instrument and instrument happened to be a trumpet and they just had a spare trumpet in the school that nobody was playing and it was like, look, we'll get you a trumpet teacher, see how you get on with this. And then from then on, man, it was just the trumpet kind of took the lead in my life. I kind of carried on the grade five in two years. I got a music scholarship into secondary school where I did like an extra couple of hours of music. I kind of get, started going into different bands at school. So I started to learn jazz. So how old were you, though, when the teacher pulled your mum aside and said, you know, your son's very talented? How, how old are we talking here? Ten. Did you know you were talented or did you need that someone to tell you that you were talented? I guess at that kind of age, you don't know, really. <laughs> it's just a fun thing. Yeah, I just had enjoyment out of it. I couldn't really un- explain why, but yeah, I just kept having fun. And my mother and everybody around me was very encouraging, kind of like letting me get on with it. So, you know, I kind of just flew away with it. And as I kind of got older, it's quite evident that this is kind of one of the good things I was good at. And it started to become a really kind of serious career path around the age of I guess 14. Wow, 14. 14, 15, you know, it's kind of between that and computers. I was quite nifty on computers. I used to just love, you know, programming on an old PC I had at home. Did one or two things on the computer. I probably should have done so. But <laughs> you're one of those hackers, eh? When you're young. Yeah, yeah a couple of Trojan horses went flying right here, there, and everywhere. Mate, my way. computer, my computer blew up because I had a Trojan horse. Man. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're talking 14, 15. You're kind of tipping the scales, and that's kind of where it goes real serious, professional, so to speak. So before that. You were doing it for the love of it. You had fun. Was music something in your family? Or it was just in your side of path? Like, does your family play music? Is music something that has been in... Well, no. Well, my mum used to be a backing singer. She, you know, she used to love playing music around the house. And I think that was a big part of me being kind of connected to music, listening to it from a very early on and just, you know, having it in the background, listening to all the greats, you know, Aretha Franklin. You know, I even had some Elvis tapes I used to whack on. Earth, Wind of Fire, all those kind of wicked bands. And, you know, I just kind of just gravitated to that kind of sound, I guess. And from then on, it just kind of matured into something I, I really wanted to pursue and doing quite seriously. So when you say you found it, you wanted to pursue it and you want to take it quite seriously, I mean, that's still a young age, you know, 14, 15, for someone to know exactly kind of what they want to do with their life. How am I going to get there? Did it kind of just all play out for you in, because you mentioned that you got a scholarship into secondary school. Let's just clarify that. Is that high school? Is that what you're talking about? High High school, school, yeah. yeah. And I know that you went on and studied at one of the best music schools in London, being Trinity College. So talk to me through that kind of transition. Where and when was your first kind of break as a trumpeter? And how did that kind of play out for Crowney? Yeah, no, I think it got really kind of serious to me that I wanted to kind of take this to another level when I was hired to play in like a local musical theatre production. And I think it was like 16 and kind of got my first taste of what that life could be like. And, you know, I quite enjoyed the experience playing with other musicians, kind of being a part of a wider production, a bigger kind of purpose to why I'm doing this thing. But what I think was, was what the best things I got out from working that young 
And, you know, to put in context, there are a history of child prodigies, young people being ridiculous at playing an instrument, even way younger than I was getting jobs, you know, 11, 12, that just were born with the actual talent to get there. So, you know, it's not a weird thing to be kind of working professionally as a musician young, but kind of going through the process that I did, it was quite evident to me that you know, this requires a certain amount of dedication and time to become, to be able to do what I do professionally and with the longevity of being able to keep getting work and keep getting, you know, getting noticed and a name for yourself. Because if you're not on top of your game, there's always somebody else that could come and do your job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Kind of like you're replaceable to a certain part. Exactly. Everyone's replaceable yeah. though, I guess, in this day and age. There's, as you mentioned, like you can have so much talent and kind of get some really great opportunities, but at a young age, like when you reflect, and I want to talk obviously a lot more about all this stuff and the music side and, you know, what was your greatest success and the moment where you thought, fuck, I think I've made it. What do you put that down to, the difference between, like you, I like asking some of my guests this, like, you know, you can have talent, but if you don't nurture the talent, if you don't work hard, like sometimes people don't transfer that into success. What did Crowning put it down to? Like, what did you do? What do you believe in? I think I was quite fortunate to identify what I wanted to do early. I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. And when I was in my mid-20s, I knew people still were struggling with figuring out what they wanted to do. I think it has a big impact on where you kind of head in life. Kind of, yeah, where you kind of head, which kind of route you, you, you take. And I think because I was able to kind of identify this is what I wanted to do, put enough dedication into it, have the people around me to kind of guide me and give me the advice that is needed, which you don't really actually realize you need at such a young age <laughs> and there was a couple of, there was a couple of instances I did rebel but I think those were some of the factors that kind of got me to where it got me and yeah I think definitely identifying what you want to do early and having a kind of route a clear route of how you intend to get there that's the other kind of challenge I think people struggle with as well yeah, it's so hard. I mean, even people in there and you're talking about this at such a young age like I feel like that's pretty rare. Like to have that kind of direction and mentorship and knack as to where I want to get to, how I need to get there. It's very admirable, but it's kind of, it's, I feel like it's rare. Like people in their thirties or forties, fifties, sixties, all the way up until the, the end of their life kind of don't really know what they want to do and their purpose and finding, you know, just getting to a place where they really feel like they belong and this is the, what they need to pursue. I feel like for a lot of people, is kind of like a life challenge, you know what I mean? So it seems like you're pretty lucky with that. Yeah, no, I would agree. I was pretty lucky with it. But I think what also contributed to that was having the infrastructure around me and opportunity. That's what a lot of people don't get. And I think having the opportunity to listen to other musicians play music from that early, kind of put that idea of, oh, this is quite cool, you know, maybe something that you might not be exposed to every child. So it kind of... For me, especially within the arts, that kind of thing needs to be exposed at a young age because to be good at what you do, or you know, it takes time. Yeah, it, does <laughs> it take takes a lot time. of time. And especially even doing something quite technical, like playing an instrument, having a head start on that can never be a bad thing. You know what I mean? So I think it goes down to, you know, having an opportunity, the type of thing you want to do and how easily it is to get to where you want to get to. A lot of these things is a... It's a lot of big fishes and there's a small pond. So, you know, you gotta you gotta come, you gotta come ready for that. And I yeah, I think that's what kind of got me to where I got me right now. In fact, yeah. It's 
extraordinary, man. And talking about your journey and where you are now, what was, you look back and you are where you are today because you've made certain choices, you've worked hard, you've, you've been, you know, all the great things and you've probably had trials and tribulations along the way, challenges where you've probably second-guessed yourself and thought, is this the career for me and all that sort of stuff, which we can talk about. But what was your turning point? What was the breaking point for you in terms of like my breakthrough? You know how when artists and we talk about actors and singers and musicians and anyone kind of in the arts, we call it like a breakthrough. What was your breakthrough role or your opportunity? What was that? Well, the music industry is small. So I think the kind of breakthrough was with the previous years doing a lot of like session work for other musicians and other artists. So for instance, I did a couple of sessions and stuff I was hired to do there's this show in England called uh, what's it called again it's, oh, it's, it's a music show on BBC George Holland that is it uh, George Holland uh, yeah. I got called to play trumpet for Janelle Monet. and she came down to the UK to do this kind of it was kind of like a promo show it's one of the big shows all the artists would do I guess it's kind of like the magnitude of what X Factor is without it being X Factor yeah kind of getting that session work and being in front of people that hired me playing trumpet you know, kind of got me other sessions with other artists I was working for. So slowly and slowly, my kind of trumpets were coming on loads of other people's albums. But I guess the kind of biggest turn point was just after I left my job as a music teacher. So I was actually a music well, after I graduated music. At Trinity. Trinity. At Trinity, yeah. I was a trumpet teacher, music teacher, primary school music teacher. And I kind of did that for two years. And I think what that taught me was that I very much had a plan of this would be a stepping stone onto me being a full-time performer because that was always my goal to become a full-time performer and, you know, kind of learning, teaching music with kids was kind of a stepping stone. It was an easy way to get, you know, that kind of regular money that you need at that age that, you know, you learn a trade that it's not so much, there's a lot of jobs for. So it's good to be able to get that for a couple of years, but it really built my passion to be a performer. And luckily enough, I knew, one of the boys in Rudimental. And funny enough, the guy I knew, Piers, hired my old hip-hop jazz band. I had a hip-hop jazz band, like an eight-piece band wow. with like two rappers. Oh, did you? My friend played Sexford, yeah. The keys oh, wow. player, drummer. So it's kind of like a live hip-hop band. And Piers actually hired us to play at this venue called Hackney Empire. And me and Piers kind of lost touch for a couple of years because he went up to Leeds to learn music production. I stayed in London to learn jazz trumpet. And... He gave me a call out of the blue. Well, actually, no, it was out of the blue. It was through my friend Josh. He was our mutual friend. Yeah, he said, look, I need a trumpet solo on this track. You know, it's potentially getting signed. Yeah, do you mind coming over to my house and having a go? And I had a go. And a couple of weeks later, it was number one and just rudimental were on tour. And I was going around the world with them guys. So, yeah, it was kind of that wow, kind of turning point. Man. It was around, I'd say, probably. Between 2011 and 2012 is where it kind of got a little bit more serious as me becoming myself as a toy musician and, you know, off the back of working with Mood Mental, working with other artists like, you know, Rita Ora and Ed Sheeran and others and, you know, getting my trumpet on different records. And yeah, it just kind of stemmed from that really. So that was a little launch pad. That is incredible. And I mean, going to, you know, your boys, your mate's house and kind of just shooting the shit and playing the trumpet and just going from there to like, having like a rudimental hits they were creating hits you know what i mean and then being on the road and touring all around the country coachella all these events like 
Far out. That must have been a quick change for you. <laughs> yeah, out. yeah, no, it was a quick. It was a quick change. It kind of happened. It was yeah. It kind of just went flip, and it was. You know, to be honest, I didn't actually mention before I actually started touring with Rudimental. I went on tour with this ska band, which is actually Bob Marley's first band called the Scatterlights. Scatterlights. The Scatterlights. Scatterlights. Ah, Scatterlights. Yeah, I did like a six-week tour over in South America, so that was mainly my first taste of what touring would be you know I, I loved traveling I mean, it was like one of the first times I got on a plane and you know it was something I got kind of a, a big hunger for and then obviously rudimental happened and then yeah it was kind of like a continuation from there so I guess my first touring experience wasn't with rudimental it was with this band called the scatterlights but then yeah rudimental being the main for the been the past 10 12 years now yeah that is huge and so when now we do the full 360 here when i met you back out in australia all those years ago you're on tour weren't you yeah we were on tour for rudimental yeah 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 mate yeah, it, yeah, rudimental, yeah what a bloody some amazing tracks man like was there one to you that was kind of like a standout where you were playing on tour and you went far out i think i've actually made like i'm hitting some of these dreams i wanted to do my whole life and i'm, I'm here doing it like was there ever a, a splitting moment like that for you well, you know, one of my favourite tracks is on the first album called Hide, which wasn't actually like released as a single, but it was with Sinead Harnett and it's just a, yeah, it's a sick track. I just, <laughs> I, I just loved it. That was a track that really, really done it for me in the early days. But, you know, we had a load of hits kind of that came through, that filled love obviously was the first big kind of worldwide hit, which actually brought us over to Australia and... The other one was not giving in. That made quite a good, a big headway, and uh, that did very well. And yeah, we had one with Emily Sunday free. That was a big one. And then the, the other big one was waiting all night with Better Air. That kind of had a big stint. And I think what kind of evolved from that was, I think, more instrumentation in music and music production was starting to be a little bit more appreciated. I don't put myself as being the pioneer of that at all, but I think what Rudimental has shown is to have the kind of electronic sounds, drum and bass sound, dance sound, whatever you want to call it, and integrated with live instruments. And I think from a viewing and an audience perspective, that sounds and looks great because sometimes you could be unsure when you're looking at a show, you know, are they actually playing? Is it yeah, yeah. mine? Is it, yeah. you know, am I about to be scammed? Am I just listening to the track in the background and everybody's <laughs> exactly. there? But, you know, it's when you see actual people running around, giving their all, hearing them sweat, potentially hearing a mistake, like, don't get twisted, we've made mistakes. And I don't actually mind that because it's, like I say, proves that what we're doing is real and the touring life can be, Flipping hard, <laughs> going around the world. Like some of the schedules I had to deal with were actually ridiculous. We did like a six-week tour where we did. It was two weeks in Europe, two weeks in America, and two weeks in Australia. We did six weeks basically around the world. We came back home, and I tell you, you know, I've never experienced tiredness like that in my life, man. It was just like so exhausting. And when you're on tour... Everybody looks at the pictures on Instagram, sees the fun bits, sees the video all the clips, good parts of that. Sees all the yeah. good parts, man. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of struggles to deal with. Early get up times after doing a show, landing in a country, feeling jet lag, and having to do a show that night, not being able to sleep well. Do you know what I mean? All these kind of factors really do have, it sometimes do have a lasting effect on the musician and the highest. And I can very much say that 
kind of touring for the past 10 to 12 years has definitely had an adverse effect on me on some ways. Just, you know, my sleep patterns when I came off tour were a bit wild. I'm just used to having three to four hours of sleep a night and that being adequate would actually is really not good for your body. No. <laughs> or your mental health. I mean, it did. Or your mental yeah. health, exactly, to kind of to do that to yourself. But you get into such a big pattern that you sometimes you miss these things that are very vital in terms of just keeping yourself sane and on track and just giving yourself and the people around you no hassle and stress. Mm. Mate, I'm so glad that you brought that up because... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It was definitely something I wanted to ask you. Like, how do you manage your, your own mental health and physical health when you are on tour and you're literally going back to back for six weeks? You're getting four hours of sleep. You're probably extremely under the pump. You're stressed. You're probably tired and all these other things. But then on the flip side, you've got this adrenaline, these emotions that are probably pumping through your mind, you know? Like, how do you manage that as a professional artist? What what did you guys do as a group? Was it a group thing? Was it a personal thing? It was kind of like, talk to me through that, man, from a physical and mental health side. Well, first off, I think, it's very personal to the individual. Each person has their way of dealing with it. I don't think there's a blueprint for it. There's things you people could suggest you do that might not work. We might they, mm, or they might sure. do. It's just you know there is no playbook for that. But I think one of the most important things, especially for us as a band in general, is well, first off, we're all adults. We all have our kind of like our do's and our don'ts, and we all have our expectations. And I think what was really good about the group, and still to this day, is everybody knew that. You know, they knew we got to know each other very much like a family. 
to the point where we could read each other. Some people might not want to be spoken to and that's just this way of just them having their time to themselves. And it's nothing to do with any disrespect to anybody, but, you know, allowing that person to just not talking to them or just to give them their space is quite important, especially when you're traveling with a large group of people for, and you're always on top of each other. I think that was really good to keep the whole group sane. But for me, I guess it was, I kept my kind of sanity and my mental health in check by just being in touch with my family frequently. Yeah. Nice. You know, just checking in every day is very important. Making sure everybody's all right, just hearing the voice of my mum, my brother, et cetera, et cetera. And just making sure everybody's all right. I think that for me personally, that's how I kind of kept myself on Granted. top of it because yeah because you know i was just used to being very close and around my family all the time and so not being around for like yeah. three months at that time. Hard, hey? exactly yeah. yeah it's hard for both parties and especially yeah. people a couple of guys have you know kids in the group but you know that has this adverse effects you could keep in touch with them and that can affect them and as well but yeah i think from the talking personally it was just keeping in touch with my friends and family they're very important to me and just you know just to just check in and just say look this is what I did today or how are you what's going on Can you do this for me because I'm not around do you know what I mean just having that close circle around that I could rely on just over the phone yeah kind of like staying connected and you mate you're spot on I mean it, it's I'm so glad you mentioned that too because it what works and what worked for you and what works for you might not work for any of the other guys in your band you know what I mean or in the group mm. so I think it is important to recognize the things that work for you and keep doing the things that work for you but it's great to hear that you had some kind of plan in place that you know you were able to reach out and connect with your family on those levels and it probably took you away from the hype and the high life of what you're currently dealing with you know what I mean and it maybe made you more grounded and that sort of stuff so I think that's great with the you know touring schedules obviously back to back at times and you're probably under the rest at certain times with the other side of it like was it like adrenaline and like was it being in the limelight is that addictive or is it still addictive is it addictive for you is it something that you thrive in like talk to me on that part of it because a lot of people like people that are probably listening right now they only get to see crowny and groups like rudimental whatever group it is whether you're involved or not they look at all the show reels so to speak all the good moments and it looks like they're flying and their life's great they're rich and famous and they're flying all over the world and meeting fans meeting people like what was that and how did you manage that kind of part of the business well, I think a lot of this is varies from person to person. And I think that I wasn't ever addicted to that per se. There wasn't any addiction of the lifestyle. I mean, there are perks to the job, don't get me wrong. There are perks to the job and they do make the whole thing a little bit more lucrative, you know, a little bit more comfortable in how you get around, for example, or there's a little perks of just having access to one or two things that other people want. But I think I was always grounded. I always had the people tell me, you know, don't forget where you came from, you know, don't forget what it was like before. Don't forget the people that were here but when, when you were on a jet. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just having a few people around me that would just tell me I'm a dickhead if I was being a dickhead. You know, I think yeah. I mean, that's, that's important. That's important for everybody. You yep. know, that's just my close friends, my brother, my brother. Do you know what I mean? They're all there to really kind of, if they saw any kind of buck wildness, they'll be pretty quick to jump on me. And I think from an outside perspective in, it is, I can see, because I've been in it, the source, how easy it is to get lost in it. It's not always intentional, but that's not always understood because 
on the outskirts of it, oh, you're driving a Mercedes or, you know, you're getting looked after, you've got a bodyguard or whatever, you know, like you say, we always see the good sides of it, but there is a lot of shit that has to get dealt with behind the scenes that do affect how other artists might react to things they shouldn't. And I think there's been loads of kind of examples of that, you know, people lashing out potentially when they're meeting a fan, for example. And it's not necessarily that they're just trying to be that diva-ish. It's you've got to understand that sometimes when I finish a show, sometimes I can meet 15, 20, 25 people. Do you know what I mean? Be our friendship and how we met is testament to that. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, sometimes exactly. it's not always the right situation to have that kind of conversation or have that kind of interaction with that person. And that goes back to what I was saying about how we all kind of kept our sanities. Like we all knew I had our boundaries of, okay, I need this time for myself or this is not what, what I want to do now. And and this is why behind the scenes, artists might employ people to be that middle person because it's not always just this easy to say, not now, please. (laughs) After you've had a shit show or not now, please, I've just come off a 12 hour flight or not now, please, I've been eating for three days. Do you know what I mean? So (laughs) it's kind of the way up is quite hard to kind of gauge and sometimes. Yeah, it's interesting. Have you ever witnessed people either in your group or obviously it's a small industry music, the arts industry is small in itself. Like, have you witnessed it close hand, like the impacts that, you know, this high life from the outside looking in has had on people? And it's oh, yeah, really of course. affected her? Of course, of course, of course. I think without even having to mention names, there's been no, very high profiles, of course. not just around me, but just out there in history and what's been put in the press by other people. There have been very high profile cases of people breaking down. Do you know what I mean? Because of the past the, or the, the schedule and not being able to do the little things they need to do. It's a very tasking job and, you know, and, and there's not a lot of people understand that because once again, it just looks great. Like you're having a laugh. But if you're like me and like a lot of artists, music artists are, we're perfectionists. And mm, sometimes we could be... I say they, a bit of OCD, a bit of perfectionism. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes <laughs> you, man. ourselves can be the problem. ironically do you know what I mean and sometimes you're not able to get over that so if you have a rubbish show you know that will irk you all day or if you missed a cue or something like that you know that you really want to get right and you didn't get right that's enough just to flip somebody so you know sometimes you could be the onus could be on you and you could be the problem but you know yeah like I said there's various factors yeah, mate, you're right. There is probably definitely various factors and each person manages these experiences differently. You know, if, if you look back on, you know, the many years that you've been in this industry, has there ever been a point, obviously you've had a lot of really, really great moments and breakthrough moments and all that sort of great stuff. Has there ever been like a point where you've kind of hit a rock bottom or it's got to your stage where it's kind of like, I don't know if this is the career that I want. Has that ever been a thing for you? No, not really. I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say there's been a rock bottom per se. I mean, there might have been times where I felt like I wanted to do something else. And that's always possible because fortunately I'm a, I can not do this for a while and then come back. You know, it's just the kind of flexibility and freedom that the job can give you. And I guess, I guess you could call it as a perk of the job. Not everybody has 
<laughs> has the yeah, perk yeah. to leave their job for six months and maybe find another <laughs> job just like that or get the job back that they had. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think there is what you have to go through to become an artist or an instrumentalist or a musician, what that entails is, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, is the dedication and time that you have to put in to become the person and the, you are the artist you are. And with that, there are things you might miss along the way that you needed to do that you haven't. And it was always being your back in your mind. And resentment in this game is just horrible. You don't want to be resentful. You don't resent something you haven't done because it's just the worst thing. I've always said it's better to be what if, you know what I mean? It's just like that didn't work as opposed to what if I did it? What if I tried? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's better. Kind of accepting better to, it. Kind of accepting accepted it. Yeah. It's like at least I did it. And it wasn't the best experience or it was an experience like I thought it was going to be, but at least I could go away. But okay, right. I've tried it. And I think that's kind of important. And that's what I've been able to do still while touring. Do you know what I mean? I've been able to kind of do my own thing. I was not solely just like stuck on rudimental. Like I've been doing other things. I have been working on other projects. I have been working on my own music. I've been working with other artists and it keeps the job fresh helps with your, your your sanity to be to keep you in the game to keep you match strict be able to do other stuff and you know you being around this game you learn other things that you might want to pursue or try like for instance I never was into music production and even when I was learning that music it was offered to me but it was never really something that I jumped at but now music production I've kind of learned it over the past 10 years and part of that has been being around the rudimental guys and seeing them use music production kind of learning on the fly but right now, the modern musician is very important to be able to be kind of savvy with technology, yeah. at least be able to record yourself, because the past two years have very much proved if you weren't able to record yourself at home or if I wasn't able to record trumpets at home or do my music production, my work would have completely ceased. Yeah, because I was just that I was be able to be adaptable. And in this game, you really have to be adaptable. One thing I see to if I got any advice for any young musicians out there is learn how to record yourself to a decent quality because you know while you'll be able to do more to you be able to kind of work within your time scale and then you be able to turn around things quicker because right now everybody's just about everybody's lost time and everybody's quick to everybody exactly. was <laughs> everyone's so impatient like, man they expect exactly like yeah. yesterday mate that's really really solid advice and mate i love that because there's no doubt there's a lot of you know musicians listening to this people who are aspiring to be artists at some level in their life and mate speaking of you know working over the years with rudimentally still involved still involved yeah, yeah still yep. involved still involved yeah where are you at right now where is the career at right now because i know you've worked with obviously rudimental is how i met you and that's been a big part of your journey and your life so far but you've also been involved with a number of other great exceptional huge artists because of the you know your skill set so what are you working on right now where are you currently at in your career as of today well, right now, we the boys are working on some new, new music. We're quite in contact with throwing some new ideas around. So there's a been new... Is that the Rudimental Boys? Yeah, there's yeah, some yeah, new cool. stuff coming out this year and getting back on the gig circuit and, and all that. I'm also working on some of my own music. I had a couple of releases last year. It's kind of like soft house releases. But I'm going to kind of just like build on that now a bit more and kind of just build a body of work that I'd be able to kind of get a little bit more momentum, a little bit more momentum on and be able to like kind of... Like 
and DJ more. So I'm just basically working on like five, six of my tracks in the moment. I'm so you're try. doing your own music production as well on that as playing? Are you playing? The, is the trumpet involved in that as well? Yeah, some of the trumpets yeah. involved yeah. in the tracks. Yeah, but my yeah, artist cool. name is my artist name is King Crowny. So yeah. you kind of work within my kind of remit is the soulful house kind of groove based type Afro genre. So I kind of have a lot of groove based that's tracks awesome. that I'm working on at the moment. And yeah, man, that's kind of my that's plan awesome. to be able to get that done. Get yeah. someone that's released over the summer and moving into the autumn and winter and yeah, try and capitalize on some of that next year and get myself gigging a little bit more on the gig scene under my own name. Yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah. All right. So traveling. Yep. And kind of creating your own brand under King Crowny. Mate, yeah. I love that. And I think that's really important. And as an artist, you're always probably trying to create, right? That's like the kind of natural progression for me is kind of what's happened so far. You know, I've kind of learned how to play my instrument, kind of learned how to teach it. I've worked with a group who use my skills to kind of amplify their tracks. And now it's kind of a little bit more my time to interpret my voice and my ideal vibe of music that i want to kind of put through my express myself basically a little bit more through my music which i, I have done over the yeah. past couple of years because i've been kind of touring and doing other things and if you've kind of been in this you need to kind of sit down and really go through it and kind of like this is your own baby so you can invest all of the different pieces and parts into it and make your own decisions on the direction and what it is and how it sounds because i'm sure in a group it's kind of like you're not just the decision maker the decisions are all spread out amongst everyone, plus the record label, the producer, you know what I mean? So it's kind exactly, of like, yeah. yeah. would I be right saying that? Correct, yeah, very much correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, as of today, like, and being on tour and stuff and working with Rudiman or getting King Cranny off the ground and, you know, releasing your own kind of tracks and doing all the production, do you work with like an agency or a production company or like a record label, like Universal or any of these republics? No, no, I mean, I've, no, not really. I kind of just do it off my own back. One good thing is, you know, I've made a lot of contacts. So I guess a lot of kind of like that agency managerial legwork, I've kind of got that network anyway. I've got an agent who kind of it looks for what looks after my bookings. But yeah, no, it's kind of just utilising what I've kind of worked with and who I've met with over the past couple of years and just, yeah, just starting something a little bit more fresh. And yeah, man, yeah, it seems to be going well. Yeah, I've got a lot of the tracks, I say 80% finished. And yeah, man, just trying to just figure out a kind of strategic way to kind of make the most of what I've got. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds amazing, man. You're, <laughs> you're still so young as an artist. There's so much time left, man. You just got to just pursue eh, and just keep creating. And I think as artists, man, we always just want to keep creating. We get a little bit bored if we just do the same old stuff all the time because I think and I'm speaking from my own experience as an artist, I feel like, you know, we're in different fields, obviously, me and acting, you in music kind of thing, but I feel like you've got to got to always be creating. And I get what you mentioned earlier around, you know, your perfectionistic traits and being maybe a little bit on the OCD side, but a lot of that can be used for greatness too, you know. It's not always... Sometimes people look at things like, oh, I'm a perfectionist or I've got OCD or anxiety or whatever along those lines, and they automatically think it's a negative. But you can actually channel that into doing really, really good work. Like I've seen a lot of artists and a lot of artists suffer with sometimes not even diagnosable mental health challenges like OCD or perfectionism. I'm not certainly not saying that that's what you've got by any means, but it's kind of a pretty common trait in this industry of arts. And I feel like people use that to their actual power and it can transcend them into greatness. You know what I mean? 
Of course. And I think, you know, that's with those kind of type of things, what creativity allows you to do is to sometimes when you read that way, like OCD or whatever you might have, whatever condition that it might be, or just even as you as a person, sometimes a creative is hard to understand mm. or hard to kind of interpret. And I think what a good creative does is really makes you understand what they try to do via their craft. You know, I mean, really kind of, so making great music or making a lot of tracks is might be a thing because you might be OCD or you're the perfectionist, but you know, that's driving you to make the music. And because of that, you are able to have, just feed your fan base with the music that they require and, you know, feed the kind of fan base and make them kind of follow you almost. It's like, okay, this guy's always making music. It's always great. You know, start to really understand who you are, why, you know, start looking your background up, you know, start to maybe read into the type of person you are to really understand what's stemming from your music because music is an art form and it's almost like a painting. Sometimes you don't, people will understand it. Sometimes they won't understand it. And I think that's the beauty behind it. It's kind of getting your voice through your music and your creativity via your sounds to kind of really build upon what makes you happy. Mate, I love that, man. I mean, everything you're saying makes so much sense to me. It's really, really great stuff, man. I'm glad that, you know, you've had a very successful career and there's plenty more great times to come. I can't wait to hear what tracks you've got in the pipeline. Yeah, no, it's, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, man, mate, it's exciting. And I'll definitely be linking up with you when I'm over, over your neck of the woods way later this year. Speaking of that, and before we wrap up this, mate, I know that you're working on another project at the moment. You're the co-founder behind, is it Tanoi? Is that how I pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, I'm founder of Tanoi. Give me a quick, what is that and where did that come from? And what is it, yeah? So basically Tanoi is a voice-based platform where anybody can have authentic conversations. And I think without going into it too specifically, what I'm trying to do is I feel that, you know, social media today has kind of lost its authenticity and words Definitely. in general can be very much misconstrued and misinterpreted. And I think if we're really trying to get to the nooks and crannies of some of these issues that are starting to stem from various people's actions, i.e., for example, like Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, what I think we need to start doing is stop typing comments and, you know, about these situations, because like I say, words can be misconstrued and misinterpreted and you don't ever get the tonality of what somebody's trying to say via their text as easy as you do by using their voice. And I think if you're going to be talking about some of these issues, hearing somebody's tonality could really, really be pivotal on how that conversation goes or whether each person takes anything from the conversation, because for sure, somebody could type something and it looks a bit off key, a little bit racist or whatever. But if you could hear how they say it, or you can really get the context of the conversation. Might be not that intent. Yeah. You know, you can, you can see, oh, right, they, that wasn't their intention. Let me actually take the time to explain to this person why you can't say that or why that came across to say it a certain way. And I think that's what I'm trying to be able to kind of build upon. It's like a community that can really speak about these issues and really start to, you know, conversate with each other because... Also, not everybody has the power to write and say exactly what they want to say via the written text. You know, if you're not educated well enough or you haven't had the kickstart, you might not be able to do that. And I think what everybody does have is the power of their voice. 
you know, when you come out, when you are born, everybody knows how you're feeling by using your voice. And it's like, wow, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 I, I want to leave. Sure. I want something. Yeah, you can Mate, the from you hear from tonality. I think it really has an important aspect of just feeling human. You know, all these trolls online. I don't want it to be about pictures or video. You know, everybody doesn't need to see what you're doing. It's very much about what you're saying and how it comes from your heart. How you and feeling, your hey? Yeah, how you're feeling. I love the concept. I think it's brilliant. The amount of arguments I've had in my life and conversations where it's been wrong intended that I've never, for example, someone might not have intended it because it's come across a text or I've sent an email or something and it's been taken the wrong way. I mean, if I'd pick up the phone or picked up an app like, Tenoy or whatever it was and, and shared how I felt, I don't think we would have been having those back and forth battle wars over what I said was wrong intended. You know what I mean? So, mate, I really like it. And, mate, we'll drop all these links to the work that you're doing, the music that's coming up, the music that you've, you know, you've been involved in in the past. I'll make sure it's all dropped in the show notes in this podcast. And, mate, before we wrap up, it's been unbelievable. I'm so glad we got to connect, man, after yeah, so many love years. Yeah, it's great, you so hey? much for getting It's so man, great, yeah. man. How, yeah. like, I haven't seen you in so long. I only met you like a couple of times there and, it's like we just hit it off like I saw you yesterday, bro. Yeah, so man. Very grateful, man. Very grateful for your time. How can people track you down, brother? How can people find you and follow you? Well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me under at King Crowney. So that's K-I-N-G-C-R-O-W-N-E-Y. And yeah, hit me up. I'm chill and I'm happy to talk about and connect with people. So yeah, man, once again, thank you, Sam. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you, man. You're looking good, bro. You're looking good. Yeah, thanks, man. Oh, good, yeah. man. I appreciate it, man. Look at your blue screen in the background. Yeah, yeah nah, man. What's nah, I love it, bro. I love it. Nah, well, mate, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Likewise, bro. It definitely won't be the last. You look after yourself, brother. You take care. Appreciate all the insight. It's been a wonderful episode. Everyone who's listening, don't forget to subscribe by subscribing to this podcast. You're helping us have more conversations around all things self-improvement, mental health. So be a part of that change and help us save more lives around the world. All that being said, King Crowny, you take care, bro, and we'll speak real soon. Thank you, my man. Peace. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.